fans, teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball has all the resources that you need to be a better coach, period. Today's basketball coaches are dedicated, year-round workers who face fierce competition to keep their jobs. And excellent instruction is out there, but finding it is inconvenient, unorganized, and it can be hit or miss. So visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball. Sign up for the free trial. You're going to want to go past that free trial. We guarantee it. And be sure to join our good friend Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast where guests share how they differentiate themselves and achieve high levels of performance through the lens of motivation, competitiveness, and mindset. Join along on the journey to lifelong learning and improved performance with the Competitive Mindset Podcast. Follow on social media at Competitive Pod. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with coaches from around the continent and have them tell us about their greatest game. As always, it can be their time as a head coach, an assistant coach, a CYO coach, a college coach, a high school coach, or a coach in the Great White North. Just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. Wow. I tell you, continent, it just it just rolls off of your tongue. Can you say that again for me, Chris de Blasio? It was just continent. Wow. That is just absolutely incredible. And you're right. We are going north of the border. See, for me, I, I like to say now we are truly, truly worldwide by having our guest today. Uh, you know, we have had Manny Dosange, who's a GA now at Michigan State. He was episode 80 of the greatest games, and he's Born and raised in Canada, but now we are truly having a coach that is still currently coaching in Canada. He is the head coach of Orangeville Prep, Tony McIntyre. Welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be on and, uh, you know, really excited to uh, be able to, to share our story uh, from up here in the north. And as Tony told us before the show, a little pre-show chatter, it's a balmy negative 18 there in Ontario, in central Ontario today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's snow, snowy and overcast, but uh, you know, nothing better than staying in the gym. <laughs> snowy and overcast—that's an entire season up there. It's not even called winter. It's called snowy and no. overcast. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I've uh, spent some time in Ontario. Lovely place. I've never been over to Orangeville, but I do enjoy Toronto and, and uh, is Ottawa, Ontario. Yeah, Ottawa's Ontario. Yeah. Windsor, yeah. Ontario. Spent some time in Windsor with the Final Four. So. Uh, Ontario. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it, it's close enough to the U.S. It's probably obviously the the closest, and I think it's uh, you know everyone knows Niagara Falls and and knows uh, Toronto, of course, because of the Raptors. But I, I think you know it's we we've been pretty lucky with with our growth of the game up here, and and uh, you know I, I think we're we're going to continue to do that, and hopefully, like you said, more people will come up here and and you know experience what we what we have to offer up here besides winter. <laughs> well, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your just quickly tell us about your journey and kind of where you coached and, you know, how you've gotten to where you are today as a coach. So I, uh, it, it's actually a, a long story that I'll compress, but I, I started out playing hockey, um, lacrosse, basketball. Um, in high school, I kind of had to pick a sport. I picked hockey, left basketball and lacrosse behind. Uh, I got injured at 18 years old. I uh, couldn't play hockey anymore. And 
I, I had a lot of time to kind of reflect. And I think anyone that's been injured where, you know, a, a sport is done for them, um, there, there's some animosity and some, you know, time where you, you reflect on your journey, but also what, what, what's ahead for you. And uh, in doing that, I had some amazing coaches and, and I sat there and really thought, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, with, with just my mother. So for a single family um, and, and my coaches were my everything. Um, I had some great ones uh, that really took me under their wings and helped me and, and, and molded me and, and helped me develop as a young man. And, and I sat, you know, at 18, I started thinking like, you know, I really want to be that for someone else. Um, and so I started coaching basketball and, uh, I walked into a gym one day with my friend and said, I wanted to coach and helped him coach a game. Um, and I just fell in love. They gave me a team a couple weeks later, a house league team and started doing that. And, and then, you know, within a month and a half, uh, I was coaching rep, um, which would be, you know, kind of like AAU down there. Um, and then I had two teams and then three teams and then. Uh, you know, my wife thought I was crazy, uh, girlfriend at the time. Um, and she started coming out and, and then I just really started to build, built my own uh, program, my own AAU program up here, CIA Bounce, um, and really just started to get into the high school scene, um, coached a, a high school up here called Father Henry Carr for three years. Um, very, very successful. Uh, our first season, we, we went 35 and two. Um, and our only loss was against our senior team. We were a junior varsity team at the time. Next season, we went 35 and 0. Um, and then the season after that, we went 35 and 0. So it was, you know, some successful little stints there and, and then started coaching um, up here, became the director of basketball operation up here at Orangeville Prep. Uh, and then uh, started coaching officially up here as a coach instead of just a director of basketball operation. I, I really you know, miss the coaching aspect of it and the sitting up in the, the press box, so to speak, watching everything being done. Uh, it just never felt right to me. So I uh, really had to get my hands back into it and started coaching three years ago. We went um, that year in our league, we went uh, 22 and two. Uh, and last year we went 22 and zero in our league. So pretty, uh, pretty successful and, and had a lot of fun and, 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 in the meantime, my goal always was, and it, and it still is, is to get one kid a scholarship. And, you know, that's the difference that we can make. And that's, that's, that's what we're put here for. And when you truly believe in it, you, you know, you can help one kid at a time to achieve their goals. And, and that's why I love it is just to be able to see that end result of someone get a free education and an opportunity to, to play basketball after high school. And, and that's, that's my biggest message to them is if you could play basketball in high school, and get the chance to even play a game after high school, you've already won this game. Awesome. Brian, I don't know if you were listening to that record, but he loses about as often as Haley's Comet goes by Earth. <laughs> that's, Jesus. That's, uh, that's, that's very true. And uh, yes, yes. Uh, Tony, I wanted to ask you, you, you kind of alluded to it at the beginning. Uh, I'm going to go through some names here. I, I want to talk about Canadian basketball. When I was growing up as a kid, uh, Rick Fox was from Canada and Steve Nash. That was kind of it. You know, it was, uh, and, you know, Steve Nash played down at Santa Clara and, and Fox obviously played in North Carolina and long, both had long NBA careers, very successful. Um, but the, 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 um, the growth of Canadian basketball over the last 10, 15 years, uh, just looking at some of the guys that are in the NBA, obviously RJ Barrett, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, 
uh, Jamal Murray, Andrew Wiggins, um, Trey Lyles. Uh, I didn't even know this, that the, uh, uh, Brad Zekas, the kid who played at Michigan, now plays for the Knicks, is Lithuanian, but came through your program there at Orangeville. Uh, Dylan Brooks, who, who was an All-American at Oregon, uh, is another Canadian player. Talk about the growth of Canadian prep basketball. And I, uh, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really starting to explode. And I think, uh, you know, that we went through a, a huge trend up here. And, you know, when you go back in, in that time frame of, of what you mentioned, you know, that 10 to 12 years, um, we were really exporting high school basketball players to the U.S. We were sending them to the, the Finley preps and the, the Montverds and the St. Benedict's and, and Huntington prep and, and all of those uh, great high schools or prep schools down in, in, in the U.S. Uh, because up here, it was there was wasn't essentially an infrastructure that could support the you know promotion and put together a schedule that would give them uh, the opportunity to, to show their skills against the top U.S. Uh, competition. So, you know, we were obviously pretty successful uh, on the AAU side. We thought, you know, we really got to get going on this prep school side. We, we felt that there was a huge advantage to our development, being able to have those kids in the gym for, for 10 months a year versus the 10 days of AAU, so to speak. Uh, where guys were flying in and and that's what's even more successful when we get to this story later is that you know we had a team of 12 players and they were meeting at AAU tournaments and that was the only time that we were able to essentially see each other we weren't able to practice uh, or do anything um, because they were all at different prep schools in the U.S. so I think the the huge rise in Canadian uh, prep scene has really flourished uh, and, and obviously there's more and more schools that are now popping up and, you know, almost every AAU team has an uh, association or affiliation with a prep school team and kind of all their players go to those prep school teams. So I think, you know, we, we started out, uh, you know, asking Jamal Murray at, at Orangeville Prep to do us a favor and stay here and kind of buck that trend of sending all our kids to the U.S. And on that team, uh, you know, Jamal stayed. Uh, the following season, you know, we had Kyle Alexander on that team as well, who was with the Miami Heat. Um, we, you know, we had we had so much talent. That whole team ended up being all Division One guys that we kept here. There was ten guys that started our first team, um, ten Division One players off of that team. Um, and then the next year, we brought Thon Maker up and Mature Maker uh, to join uh, with Jamal, uh, which was very successful. And and there was a young kid in that group. Um, that, that was a, a grade nine kid, Ignis Brasdikas, um, you know, who, who saw what was happening and, and was like, hey, I, I want to try to do this as well. Uh, and then we also got into kind of the, hey, guys wanted to now come home and finish off their high school career, ones that had gone down to the States to prep schools. Um, they wanted to come back and, and kind of finish their career here. And, you know, our, our biggest inspiration truly was the ability to develop kids put together an amazing schedule for them so that they didn't have to live away from their families all year round and, and that they could live, you know, what we call somewhat of a normal life where uh, parents could see them on weekends and, and visit with them and they could go home. And it wasn't such a strain on, on every individual that's living in a different state in a different country and, and spending a lot of money going back and forth. So, you know, 2012, 2013 till now, um, you know, the names you said, Jamal, Kyle Alexander, Ignis Brasdikis, O'Shea Brissette, Lugans Dort, um, Don Maker, Mature Maker, um, 
you know, and, and then numerous really, really good college players that are still playing college right now. And, you know, freshmen that, that Brian saw last year, you know, um, Matthew Alexander Moncrief at Oklahoma State starting to really come into his own down there. And, um, you know, Javon Blair that's at Georgetown right now. And I think he's, you know, top five all-time leading three-point shooters ever in Georgetown uh, Hoyas basketball history. So there, there's guys really doing some great things and that, that believed in what we were doing and, and we owe it to them. And, you know, we owe it to the, the, you know, EYBL as well, because that really helped us solidify our, our spot in, in uh, U.S. basketball uh, that helped us then solidify our spot in, in prep school basketball as well. Just uh, Tony, just a quick follow-up. Uh, you talked about you grew up playing hockey and obviously you know, Hockey in Canada is, is everything. And uh, you were talking about trying to trying to get into the mode of the prep schools in America. But did you guys, the Canadians up there like yourself that, that grew up there and played hockey, did you um, model any of what you were trying to do after sort of the junior? I know what's it, junior A and junior B hockey. And did you kind of, you know, use some of that model to, to start put the infrastructure, like you said, in place for basketball? Yeah, I think, um, you know, kind of being a hockey guy, it got overlooked, but it was almost, and it wasn't a resentment or an animosity, but like you look every Christmas up here and one of the, the, the biggest things for any Canadian families up here in, in Canada is to watch the World Junior Hockey Championships at Christmas. It, it's almost a staple in the household. And I remember sitting there watching it saying, man, why can't we do this? Why can't we create events? Why can't we, um, you know, be the biggest thing why does it only have to be hockey and you know you look at the the junior a here um you know we we have the ohl in the area where kids come in to play which is you know essentially the, the a breeding ground for the, um, the nhl uh, we we use a little bit of that model and we use the european academy model as well and you know how they feed into their euro teams and and kind of tried to blend it all here with like hey we have under one roof camps and clinics which are are very successful here uh, that run in the summer months into our prep school season that runs into our AAU season and then right back around uh, you know and and eventually feeding uh, both college teams and and Canadian pro leagues as well as now the NBA as well and Euro League teams. Yeah and I can tell you uh, Chris de Blasio after seeing Orangeville uh, last year and then a couple years before at the at the Ben Bojangles bash uh what they do is absolutely incredible. Um, they teach the game the right way. And I, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit of a walking billboard here, Tony. And I know you've already talked a little bit about what you guys do. Um, but the, the, it's really, really, as you mentioned earlier to both of you, it's really, really good basketball taught the right way by first-class guys. And to be able to – fascinating, as, as you were talking, Tony, looking back at your website, at, at, at those classes and seeing Jamal stay in 2015 and then all those names just keep adding and adding and adding on to 2020. Like, say, Matthew from last year, who was absolutely fantastic at Oklahoma State now. Um, so, again, I just – I love what y'all are doing. And um, I, I want you to talk a little bit further, if you don't mind, about talking about that experience for you as a as a young coach just getting that that taste of helping kids and now as you go further talking about helping kids get scholarships but I'd like to go a little bit deeper in some of those some of those soft skills because I'm telling you 
I've never seen a group of kids be more well-behaved and just nice, warm, genuine kids. And I'd love to hear, and I'd love for our listeners to know a little bit more about what y'all do and what y'all teach every day up there. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, you know, I, first of all, I appreciate that. It, it means a lot. Um, I, I really believe that, you know, uh, what we're doing and, and what we have to do is raise, raise these young men the right way. Um, they have expectations. Uh, we have expectations. Um, we have realistic goals, um, and we help them try to meet those goals. And I think what, what I really started out doing was, was more of a challenge. Someone told me I couldn't do it. And I think every single kid that plays basketball has those people that tell them they can't do it. Um, so I think we could, we could get together and, and shake hands first and foremost off the fact that they're going to be doubted for most of their life. Um, we always say here in, in Toronto, it's the culture up here is you're hated till you made it. And we've really fed off that is, is everyone's going to tell you no, um, but you could tell yourself yes. And, and we really do that and, and really focus on, you know, and this is my biggest thing is family. I have seven children. They all played basketball. I welcome every one of the kids that, that I coach into my family. Uh, my wife is there for them whether it's, you know, braiding hair or making food or just making them feel comfortable, making them feel at home, making them feel like, you know, if, if they don't have the best of family life, they do here. Uh, if they need something, they can ask um, and know that genuinely, you know, you want what's best for them. And, and I think that's what's really been successful is that, you know, you treat them with, you treat the young men with respect. Uh, you hold them accountable. Uh, I've had kids that I've coached really, really hard and they come back and say, you're the first coach that wasn't scared of me. You're the first coach that didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. And I appreciate it because truthfully, like when you really look at this game and you watch them go off to college, if we're not doing it and we're not holding them accountable and we're not teaching them the right way, the first time they're ever going to get blasted is going to be on national TV, on ESPN, in a timeout, and they're not going to know how to react. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's always been, hey, I'm going to coach you hard, but I'm going to love you harder. I'm going to tell you what you don't want to hear. And I'm going to help you figure out what you need to hear. And we, we go back and forth with that relationship. And at the end of the day, my heart's 1000% in it for them to try to get them that scholarship that they want. Uh, and, and what I ask for back is the respect um, and, and the appreciation of, of giving me everything they have uh, and saying thank you to everyone around and shaking everyone's hands and you know, if we have college coaches in the gym, you know, they come first. Coaches come first. Adults come first. Uh, and and you got to show that love and that respect. That's great, Coach. It's been a lot of episodes, 80-something episodes ago, Brian. Episode four or five, Dan Egero from Creskill High School mm -hmm. talked about whenever someone comes into the gym, his kids have to go over and shake their hand. And I just heard you say that same thing. And, man, that it just, it just exactly reminded me what Dan was talking about, you know. Whenever an adult comes in the gym, they all the kids go over and shake that that person's hand, whether it's a coach or somebody else. You know, uh, that is so great to hear. I love it, uh, Coach. So your greatest game, you're going to tell us about an AAU game at the Peach Jam. Anyone who's never been to the Nike Peach Jam in North Augusta, Georgia, or North Augusta, South Carolina, I don't know where it is. It's at that. It's at that building in in uh, in North Augusta, right on the river there. It is one of the great basketball events 
You don't, it's not like some of the other AU tournaments where you have to go all over the city and try to find what gym it's in. You go to that gym and you see high level basketball from morning till night. And I always would laugh, coach, and tell a quick funny story. I would always laugh. You could tell when you were going to see a good game because I would say the blue wave would come into the gym. <laughs> and that meant Mike Shashevsky, blue, Bill Self, blue, Billy Donovan blue ben howland blue it was the blue wave would start to line up in the gym you're like oh we're gonna see somebody good here there's somebody you know there's somebody big coming so tell us about this team you brought down to the peach jam and the game you had with the oakland raiders so we uh we we had a team that year and and it it featured uh my son at at point tyler ennis andrew wiggins xavier wraith and mays that played at florida state um we had uh, played at Syracuse. Syracuse. We had Dwayne Notice that played at South Carolina. Yes. Uh, we had um, uh, Isaiah Watkins who played at Duquesne. Um, Denzel Taylor that played at ODU. Uh, Troy Reed Knight who played at Maine. Uh, so like we we had we had some guys and and they really played their role. We had another guy Tevin Finley that played at uh, Wisconsin Green Bay. Uh, so. It was probably one of those teams where you, you you always say like, oh man, on a talent level, they got some dudes, um, but everyone just played their role so well. And, and you know, we, we went undefeated um, in that season all the way up until the last session um, when we, uh, we forfeit one of our games to come home early because it was a Sunday night. Um, you know, the, the session was almost done and we had, it was in Minnesota. So we, we had came back and, you know, that, that team, I, it's funny because as soon as you said that blue wave, um, it kind of leads into to our games that were leading up to that game against Oakland Soldiers, which was the Peach Jam Finals. Um, we had played uh, Julius Randall's team. In, I think it was the semifinals uh, to get to to the finals, and you know we couldn't even get into the gym. So anyone that's been in, uh, at the gym in Augusta, it's like when there's a big game, you have a hard time getting into the game yourself because you either got to come up the stairs from underneath and you could get into those ones but there's two gyms on one side where you got to come down the stairs into the gym from the main lobby and so those gyms to the right (laughs) yeah and so it was uh you know we had some coaches with blue polos watching julius randall that's for sure oh there's it was (laughs) it was a game where wiggins woke up in the morning uh knocked on the door and said i'm not playing today coach and i said what we're in the semifinals he's like the only way you're going to get me to play today is if you let me guard Julius Randle in the post. And at the time, if anyone recalls back then, you know, that class of 2013 was, was uh, you know, Julius Randle one day was the number one player. Andrew Wiggins one day was one. Jabari Parker the next day was one. And it was kind of that three, three-man race uh, for who the number one player was. And he's like, the only way I'm going to solidify the fact that I'm the number one player in this class is you let a guard guard Julius Randle in the post. And I said, all right, let's do this. Like, and he, he, you know, I remember him coming in about 10 minutes into the game and he's like, all right, coach, I think I proved my point. I said, no, you wanted this. You're keeping it the whole game. <laughs> he's like, Julius is just pounding him in the chest in the post and he's taking these licks. And I think they both went for close to 40 each. We went to overtime, we beat them. Um, and we went on to the finals against Oakland Soldiers and that team with Oakland Soldiers. And I'm going to remember, you know, forget some names, but Aaron Gordon and, 
think Jabari Bird and like the, the list goes on and on for that soldiers team. Um, close game goes all the way back and forth. Um, you know, it was well hyped game, game on TV, everything. And, uh, it, it, it really, I, I, it's the greatest game and it's weird that I think it's the greatest game that I've ever coached in and we lost. Um, but it's the most memorable game and the most hurtful game. And I think that's why it is the greatest game is that it really was the two best teams uh, in the EYBL that year that made it to the finals. And it came down to us having the ball and uh, Wiggins making a bad decision at the end. We were up, I think we were up two with 20 seconds left and he shot a three. Uh, we should have been at the line shooting free throws. Instead, they're down calling a timeout with seven seconds left. Um, Wiggins closes out in the corner on a driving kick, doesn't foul him. And, and I, I know, you know, every coach that comes on here believes that, you know, their guy didn't foul someone, but, uh, you know, ran through, did not touch him. The ball hits the rim. Denzel Taylor re rebounds a ball, outlets it. The whistle blows and the ref calls a foul on the three to put him at the line for uh, three shots down, down two. And he went there and knocked down all three, won the game. Uh, and it was just like the, the ultimate hurt uh, because we had really played for the fact that we were going to be the first team to ever win such a major tournament in the U S and, and bring home a championship. And we went into that game, the favorites uh, with, with our record and, you know, outside of all of our guys being successful, I think, if you, if you went to any one of those guys right now, they'd probably tell you that was the most disappointing, most high moment and the most low moment of their basketball careers to date. Um, and some of those guys have gone on, like I said, to play in a final four and, you know, Dwayne with South Carolina final four as well. And, you know, uh, Andrew Wiggins, the number one pick and, you know, and, and Andrew was really on a mission that year because we really, you know, obviously believed in Andrew and Andrew was an outstanding talent, but we had just came off having a number one pick with uh, Anthony Bennett the year before. So we were really fighting to try to be like the first AAU team to ever have back-to-back -back number one picks uh, while trying to win peach jam as well. So very memorable, very, uh, you know, something that still stings you and, and something that still kind of drives you every single day when you step on that court to, to think how close you were. Uh, and and how many things we could have done different, and and why we need to perfect what we do. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated. I mean, last episode we had Adam Nelson, the the dirt king of of hoopdirt.com that everybody knows and follows, and he talked about a game uh, that was back in 2006, 2007, and just uh, another loss. And it, we've had several coaches talk about losses as, as their greatest game, which we love talking about because they because these games that mean so much to to coaches and to kids. Um, so I want you to take us into the locker room after that game. And then I just to describe what was going on for those kids and for you guys immediately right after the moment that ended that game in. Uh, well, it, it went from, it went from kind of utter shock to pandemonium because, you know, Oakland soldiers are, are out there celebrating and running around and you had people in the crowd trying to go after the refs. And, you know, we were trying to get a little word in with the refs and, the kids were crying and you go down the stairs, you know, or go, yeah, go down the stairs and you get in, there's no real locker room either uh, for, for anyone that's been at Peace Jam. It's kind of a weight room that you're in and, you know, it's just an open space. So you kind of got to just sit there and, and eat that loss until, until Oakland decided to walk by and, and, and stop the, the celebrations down in their area and have kind of like a post game talk, which is 
still a celebration. So you got to, you know, find it in there, but you just, you know, there was very little words because it was, it was so sudden and so shocking and so hurtful. I think, you know, you, you immediately lose that game. You talk to them They, you know, kids at that point just don't want to really hear anything. They, they want to kind of just take it in and you give them that reassurance that like, Hey, you guys fought and, you know, we, we never said you were robbed uh, or, or anything like that. And, and you let them come to their conclusions about that. And at Peach Jam, you got to go out that back door and wait for the valet to bring your, your van there. And you jump in that and we hit to the airport right away from that loss. So you're now you're sitting there waiting two hours in the airport for your flight. And I think that's really where we started to regroup, where we met and, and talked through and, and cooler heads were prevailing at that point. And, but but then you had to endure the the steady stream of college coaches that were getting on flights that were at the gates right there talking to you about, man, you guys got robbed and you know that was the worst call I've ever seen and you guys didn't deserve that and and you got to kind of shield the kids from all of that too because you, you you know we we played an outstanding game, um, you know they they played an outstanding game they had to hit shots uh, you know it really just came down to they shouldn't have been able to take those three shots and we should have not taken the three-point shot on the other end so it was kind of two unfortunate mistakes really led to to the end of the game but it was well played both ways it went up and down and you know you can't be anything but proud of the guys and they all ended up ultimately where we want them to be and that's in college or the nba yeah, I appreciate you sharing that about the officiating and the officials and trying to shield the kids from it. You know, as a as a high school AD, I get hit a lot by coaches and then parents, and I kind of get in the middle sometimes. Like, oh, that referee's terrible. He's stealing the game, whatever. And as a, I don't know, I, I really do try to be as unbiased as I can, but also I'm I'm out there. I want Ridgeview to win. I you know I'm like, what is that? Oh, but I can't show my emotion, but I want to show my emotion. But and I also know, and it's just so interesting because we've talked about it on this podcast before. I love officiating basketball games from the team camp days in South Carolina, and it's really hard. And and, and it's no excuse to referees when they miss a call, but also those lessons that kids can learn from bad calls, but it's like, but I still don't want the bad calls. It's such a weird dichotomy, such a weird balance. It's so hard to figure out. It's hard to differentiate when you really, I mean, you know, when a ref's made bad calls and, but, but you got to balance it out. In my opinion is there's, there's some days where I get in the car and I'm like, yo, I know I got ripped off. Like I I know my guys, you know, didn't deserve that, but there's these things that we could have done better. And you really, as a coach, got to refocus and recalibrate on the things that you could do better as a team that wouldn't allow a referee to hopefully ultimately, you know, make that decision on a win and a loss. Um, But sometimes as coaches, you know, you you get in the thick of it and, you know, you got to have your words with referees and hopefully you could do it in a way that could change the way they're doing or bring to light what, what you're feeling. And and the good referees really, uh, they really get it. And, it, it, it's actually funny because that same season, uh, I have a funny story about a ref uh, during the EYBL is uh, we were losing a game. We weren't playing good. We, we came back and won, but I, I made up my mind at a certain point, like, yo, I've seen enough. Like I, I'm going to get thrown out of this game and I'm going to tell this ref what I think. And, you know, it's going to fire our guys up and, and they're going to get going. And we had traveled out to California for a session and it was a long travel day. And we played at 10 PM California time which was 1 a.m. our time. And we had left at 4 a.m. our time. So we had really traveled, you know, 20 hours, 21 hours. Um, 
by the time all this was going and the referee came by the bench and I said some stuff to him and he looked at me and I'm like, hold on, wait, that didn't work. And he ran back down again. And I said some more stuff and stuff that, you know, really I didn't deserve to be anywhere near a gym. Um, and he looked at me and said, coach, I know exactly what you're doing. If I have to sit here and watch this crap, so do you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was kind of like the moment where I was like, okay, he gets it. Yeah. And from that point on, we really just like, we'd have conversations up and down the court and, you know, we started getting calls and, and there was a level of respect that was there, but a lot of, a lot of refs just don't want to talk things out with you and, and have a, a civil conversation on a level of either they've ever coached before or we've ever refereed before. And, and once you could come to that common ground, I think it's okay. And makes it easier to, to get back to your kids and let them see their perspective as well. Sometimes. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You think about, I think about when I was coaching and, and referees that didn't want to talk and looking back at it now and even watching them now as, a, as an interested bystander is usually the ones, in my opinion, that don't maybe know enough, don't know a lot about their craft or they're new or they're just nervous. And it's like, I don't know if it's, well, I can't talk to the coach because I got to focus or, or whatever, but the guys that are solid and know and who they are and know the game, they'll banter with you a little bit back and forth a little bit. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, I think guys with great personals, uh, personals, person skills or people skills uh, are, are the guys that could go, you know, you, you get some really good college coaches in the AU level, especially, uh, you know, in, in the EYBL and they're, they're being assessed. So it's also, you know, it's a fine line. You don't want to embarrass them. That's their livelihood and, and, and thing. And they're more reasoning with you in, in terms of like, Hey, listen, I got to make that call. Normally I wouldn't. And, you know, I got you back on the other end. Don't worry about it. And as a coach, all you want to hear sometimes is, yeah, I miss that call. And, and it makes it all better at that point. Just just acknowledge it and right. we can move on. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to berate you for a call every time down the floor after you've told me I missed a call, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, officiating fascinates me. Episode 83, we had Mark Batar from New, New Jersey High School official. And so it was so fascinating to hear his side of things and the things they go through. And then one more thing I wanted to share, Coach Odom, when I was a, a G8 South Carolina, he would reference this poem every now and again. So back to this kind of point of, uh, of trying to teach kids like, hey, it doesn't really come down to one bad call at the end of the game, even though it seems like it does, but it really doesn't. The poem is by Jeff Smith. It's called It's Only One Possession, and it's long. I'll put it in the show notes, but basically it's a play from a player's perspective saying it's only one possession. Why must my coach scream at me? And he goes through about turnovers and missed free throws and, uh, you know, offensive rebounds they gave up. And then at the end it says, oh, we lost by two. And it's, you know, it's just all these – there's so many possessions in a basketball game. It really just doesn't come down to that one possession, really. It's funny you bring that poem up because not – I don't think many people that I've talked to know that poem. And uh, we, we photocopied that poem. And when, when we had our, our, our young kids, like my kids specifically, they had that poem printed and we've lived by that because every time you lose by one, you just say like, it, it, you know, coach, why are you tripping? You know, it's, it's, it's a missed free throw coach. Why are you getting mad? It's a turnover. And, ultimately all of those things add up to just that one or two point loss. And that, that's an amazing poem as well. Yeah, it, it really is. And, um, 
Uh, it may have been lost on the guys at the time when when coach was talking sometimes, but I, I know I was back in the back taking notes on it, and it's just one of those one of those impactful poems that is, and it's really it's really true. But uh, yeah, we could we could talk about that for hours. Maybe that that'll be part two when we bring you back maybe in, a, <laughs> in a few months after uh, after after some time. But you know, we like to wrap up with a with a fun question. We know that all of your former players and your current players they have a Tony McIntyre impersonation. Now they can't grow a beard like you have right now. This is one the one time that I wish we had a video podcast but uh um, so but we know they all have that impersonation of you uh so what's the one thing that you think that maybe they're saying that you're saying or maybe one thing that you just kind of find yourself saying over and over and over again as you're coaching your guys i i would probably say it's like every time i blow a whistle in practice i bring it in and say okay just a couple things just a couple (laughs) things and it's never just a couple things but you know, it, it puts them at ease. Just a couple things we're going to talk about. And I always say to myself, I'm not going to do it. And I always do it. And, <laughs> and I think it would be that. Um, or, you know, I like to fool around with the kids all the time. After practice, they always like to get into dunk competition. So I'll always throw up the ball and, and then, you know, they all get hype. And then I'll be like, oh, hold on, I didn't stretch. Or just fooling around with them and, and doing stupid stuff just to, you know, let them know we're human too, not not just always out there, you know, making them work. That's right. That's right. I, I love the just a couple of things. I'm thinking back to a meeting I had with my coaches a couple couple of days ago, and I said, all right, I'm going to get you out of here by four. And then that clock just kept going 356, 57. I'm like, I haven't gotten through half the stuff I need to talk about. I did it again. Like, why can't I just say the meeting's going to take 30 minutes instead of I want to get you out in 15. So anyway, I'm the, I'm the same way. So that, that, one, that one cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I had a great guy last year. You, you guys had him on the show, Manny. Dosange, who's a grad assistant at uh, Michigan State, and it was always funny because uh, he would uh, we, we'd sit down into our practice plan, and he'd always ask me, uh, "What what are the couple things?" Because he always wanted to keep me on track, and so it's uh, it's funny that you say that because you know he was telling me stories about you know working for Izzo, and you know he he can't ask him what are those couple things, so it's a uh, it's a unique situation. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, man, he's the best. And, yeah. Uh, y- y'all are the best. And, you know, again, coming down to the Bojangles Bash a couple times now, it's uh, the bash right now until we find another title sponsor. So hopefully uh, we can get y'all down sometime soon. But we just can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show. It's been really fun to, to get to know you a little bit more and hear some great stories. No, I appreciate that, Brian. And, you know, you guys run a, a, a top-notch uh, a tournament. And we we haven't had such great hospitality and in a amazing uh, atmosphere and, and it's one of the tournaments that we talk about every single year and uh, you know you still see our guys running around in the the Bojangles t-shirts and you know we got the backpacks and and, and the golf shirts and you know and I, I ha- actually didn't use the whiteboard you gave and we we framed that that's in our locker room so you know we we really appreciate the southern hospitality and, and the event you put on and I don't think you get enough credit for it and anyone that's run an event uh, we'll know how much uh, of your heart and soul you put into that and, and what a great guy you are. So well, thank you for that as well. Tony, you're the man. I, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a labor of love and a community event. It's been a lot of fun to do it and be able to, to keep it going. Uh, even in a pandemic, as we move forward, we're going to, we're going to keep it going just to provide some great experience for kids, coaches, and fans. That's, that's what we do. So, uh, but we'll go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host, Chris de Blasio. I'm Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to this episode of the greatest games.